Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, the way that you love us. It is unfathomable that we go from children to sons, that we go from slaves to free. Oh, would you help our hearts to understand what it means to cry, Abba, Father, this morning. As we look at your word, Lord, I'm thankful for uh, the smallest of things, like glasses, to the biggest of things, like your son's blood, that has purchased a freedom for us that uh, we probably will never comprehend until that day until that time which you've set for us. So God, would you help us to be sons and daughters that delight in our Father? Would you help us to be sons and daughters that find great joy in being set free to do the things that you've called us to do? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Galatians 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. As always, just want you to remember that this is the Word of God, that this is uh, the very uh, breath of God, that He has breathed this out for us, that we might hear it together today here at New Hope, that it might encourage us, that it might equip us, that it might be the one thing that sustains us and gives us strength. This is Paul, um, and I'm going to read verse 29 this morning just because uh, last week kind of ties into what Richard was preaching and as a continuation. So, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Blessed be the reading of God's Word. One of the first things that I want us to see this morning is verses 1 through 3 is the similarity of children and slaves. The similarity of being a child and being a slave. And then in verses 4 through 5, just the reality that Christ has redeemed those under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. Verses 4 and 5, we see the redemption of that Christ purchased was so that we might actually be part of the family of God, part of the kingdom of God, not merely as general population uh, citizens, but as sons and daughters. And then verse 6 and 7, that our response to being loved in that way 
is that sons and daughters worship the Father, knowing that they are heirs. Sons and fathers, sons and daughters worship the Father, knowing that they are heirs. Let me read verses 1 through 3 again. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a, different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So it says, I, Paul says in the very first part of that verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child. Uh, we've been talking about law and grace, law and grace, law and grace, being under the law. Uh, being set free from the law. And so Paul is saying, uh, the main idea that I want you to understand here is um, the difference that has taken place because of what Christ has done. The difference in how you should view who you are under the law as opposed to who you are uh, now that Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf. And so one of the ways that he does that is verses 1 through 3 is he shows us that, that under the law we are still a child, similar to being a slave. Uh, and so the first thought that came to my mind this week is what is a child? How do you think about that, that idea? Well, I guess it depends on what age you are. Because if you're a child... That might be offensive, right? And if you're an adult, that might be offensive if someone calls you a child. So it really, it really makes me stop and think about, well, I wonder how this uh, is received by different people. Well, I think we could all agree this, that being a child, in some ways, life is a lot easier. There's a lot less worry. There's a lot less responsibility. Unless, of course, you're a child. And then you say, what? I'm always being told what to do. I never get to do what I want to do. I'm always under somebody's authority. And so we have this tension. And I think it's a beautiful picture. I think it's a beautiful illustration that Paul uses. Maybe some of you remember the book that came out. I didn't look up when it came out, but probably in the 90s. Uh, Robert Fulham wrote a book that says, um, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Anybody remember that book? book was pretty funny. It was pretty uh, true as well. But he said things like this. Share everything. Play fair. Flush. <laughs> Don't hit people. Warm cookies and milk are good. Learn to live a balanced life. Nap daily. Clean up after your own mess. Say you're sorry when you hurt people. And this is something that maybe you haven't 
thought about in a while. Maybe you haven't been in kindergarten in a few years, but be aware of wonder. When you're a child and you're in kindergarten, uh, you learn so much, don't you? How do you learn? By following the rules. How do you learn? By having someone show you things. By someone teaching you the elementary principles of this world. When I was in kindergarten, we had a styrofoam cup. We filled it with a little bit of dirt and put in a seed. Put in a little bit of water, put your name on it, and you set it on the windowsill. In a few days, what happened? A little plant started to grow. And as a kid, you're like, that's pretty cool. I put something in the dirt, and I thought it was gone forever. And now it's starting to sprout. And sometimes you would see your classmates cup and you'd see this dead seed was still hanging on and the plant of life was bursting forth and I was always amazed to look at everybody's different plants we put the same type of seed in and then one plant would be huge and another one would be maybe smaller or wider and each plant came to life in a little different way It was pretty cool to come back each Monday and to see how different and amazing your plant was. Wonder. So here Paul is using that illustration of remember that you are still a child if you're under the law. The law... um, is to teach us, is to instruct us, is to remind us of who uh, wrote the law, of whose law we are under, to remind us of who we are to have wonder for. So here Paul is showing us that even when when we are the heir to all things, we are still a child when we're under the law. We, We are under a guardian for a time. And sometimes, I think we can feel like, as a child, under the law, a slave. I've got to do this. I've got to perform. I've got to um, complete this task. But, But what he's doing, really, is he's setting up for us in these three verses, um, what it means to be an heir that is still a child, that is still childlike. So many times, uh, many times in the Old Testament, the, the time of a slave was set. It wasn't a permanent slavery. Okay, So we can see that most, one of the most memorable for me anyway, is the story of Jacob, right? In Genesis 29 when he is under Laban's uh, control, so to speak, and he wants to marry um, Laban's daughters. And so he has to do seven-year terms to earn uh, what was supposedly rightfully his, right? But he, had to, he was under Laban's authority. Although in a sense he had already been given everything, he was under his master's demands for his wishes for a time. 
That time was set by his master. He must meet certain conditions. He must meet certain sacrifices in order for that day to come. So what is Paul saying when he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Paul's saying that until we have been set free from the law, until we have been set free by the Spirit of God, then we are still um, not free. (laughs) We are still under a certain parameter of of things. And so um, Paul is trying to show the Jews and the Greeks that, um, that it's only by the Spirit of God that you are going to be set free. So look at verse 2 with me. But, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. As a, as a child, you long for a certain day, right? There's always these milestones that you look for in your life. I want to be this many, right? Double digits. I want to be 10. I want to be... 15 so I can get my learner's permit. I want to be 16 so I can drive a car. I want to be 18 so I can be an adult and vote and and tell my parents what to do. And (laughs) I want to be 21 so that I can have the privileges of 21. And I want to, uh, I just want my son to be 25 so his insurance will go down. But... (laughs) But we have all of these dates, right? We have all of these times. But there's an appointed time when children will know that it's time to no longer be children, right? We in America have kind of set that to be 18, right? You graduate high school and you go out on your own and you're supposed to start uh, fending for yourself and and taking on responsibility and taking on life and becoming your own person. No longer are you kind of confined to the elementary principles of this world. Are you confined to uh, the protection and the provision and the uh, wisdom of your parents? Now you're out on your own. You're out from under their law, but... But hopefully what has happened is you have learned and you have grown and you have uh, become able to reverse that role where you then are the teacher. You then are the um, father figure or mother figure that are helping children to grow, teaching them how not to hit, how to say I'm sorry, how to be true sons and daughters. So verse 2 is reminding us that there's a time that has been set. I think one of the things that it's also encouraging us to look at is that God, our Father, has set a time and had, had set a time in history for Jesus to come. And so all of us, all of us from Genesis to uh, the New Testament were, were under the law. For this time, believers were waiting until the the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ for the date set by uh, our Father. And 
says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. And so I think for those who were under the law, they were awaiting a Messiah. They were awaiting a Redeemer. They were awaiting uh, Jesus. And so they had to be under the law for this time. Paul uh, compares the Israelite church which existed under the Old Testament with the Christian church that they must perceive in what points we agree and in what points we differ. I think the comparison, um, sorry, I read that totally out of context. But he wants us to look at this idea that the the Old Testament Israelite church was um, under the law. And, and are we still, as the New Testament church, under the law? Yes. But there's been a great change. There's been a great entry into, the, into history at this one time. And Paul is trying to remind those in Galatia that there is only one way uh, that we should be living, and that is by the Spirit and not by the law. And so he picks up in verse 4 and he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, and born under the law. There's, there's so much in verses 4 and 5. We could spend uh, the rest of the month going through that. But there's a lot of things to think about. But when the fullness of time had come, what is, what is the fullness of time in that sense? It would be hard to um, get a, an appropriate explanation for you. And I've been thinking about how to explain that, but I think what it means is that the, the kingdom of God was um, inaugurated through the birth of Jesus Christ. The fullness of time, the, the, the beginning of of uh, our forever family uh, was set in in motion through the birth of Jesus. So, how do we look at that? How do we how do we look at verse four? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. There are several things um, that Philip Graham Riken says about this passage I think that are just really good he says that there's six really main thoughts that we see here one is the timing of of Jesus's coming that there was a specific time set forth before the foundation of the world that this would be the time that Jesus would come and and the origin of of Jesus um the manner of his coming, the condition of his coming, and then the twofold purpose of his coming, that Jesus came not only to rescue, but to redeem us. And then the reality that we were adopted as sons. So let me just go back through that really quick. The timing of his coming. You know, why did God, why did God choose, uh, you know, Jesus' birth to happen when it did, we don't know. You know the, the creation of the world, uh, the fall of man, and then generation after generation after generation, 
through the Old Testament pointing to a Messiah. Uh, It's just part of God's beautiful story. It's part of God's kingdom story that, that this was the appointed time that God sent His Son to us. And I think that points us to just the... Another beautiful thing is that the origin of Christ had to have been with God. That Christ had to have always been with God because he was sent to us by God. Um, so that's another beautiful reality, another beautiful truth that we can kind of hold to. And the third is the manner of Christ's coming, that he was born uh, from a woman. It's interesting uh, that Paul used, didn't say that he was born of a man, but that he was born of a woman. And we know that this uh, doesn't necessarily point back to um, Mary being the virgin, but I think that that is the, the, the idea, that he was born uh, a man, that he was born... Uh, from flesh, that he was born of a woman. And so the manner of his coming was an amazing uh, was, was an amazing thing. The incarnation of Christ is, is one of the most beautiful things about our faith, that God sent his son into a woman's womb. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't Mary and Joseph sleeping together or having marital relations and then having a child, but the Holy Spirit sent, uh, God sent his son into Mary's uh, womb. He was born of a woman. What an amazing thought, the manner of Christ's coming. And then the condition of Christ's coming, that he was born completely sinless. That Christ came uh, fully God, yet fully man. He was uh, 100% God and 100% man. And so that condition uh, should spring in us eternal optimism and hope and, and, and satisfaction, knowing that our condition was going to be met, our fallen, sinful human condition there was hope. And, so, and that just leads to the, his, his rescue and his redemption. Christ's coming didn't just secure our rescue. It didn't just secure uh, our place in heaven. Uh, but Christ even went a step further. Uh, God went a step further in giving us Christ and says that um, I am going to redeem not only you, but all things. And it led to our adoptions as sons. He turned us from children uh, to family, from slaves to sons. Jesus' mission was not just to save sinners, but it was to be the firstborn among many. To be the firstborn in a family that would last forever, that would sing praises uh, to their father, that would glorify their father uh, forever. 
Jesus and in the last part of his life says this actually after his resurrection before he ascends Jesus is talking to those after he had risen from from the grave it says then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold he is going before you to Galilee then you will see him see how I have told you so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him and then Jesus said to them Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And and there they will see me. Go and tell my brothers. Jesus had already established um, with those that were his the fact that, that they had been adopted as sons, as brothers. So what does it look like to um, to be transformed from being a child to a family member? Um, I think there's really no other beautiful picture than uh, adoption. What does it mean to be a slave that has been set free? There's really no better uh, picture, is there? than being adopted into uh, a new place, being brought into a new family. Why was Jesus born under the law? Why was Jesus uh, born a human? So that he might redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Being born under the law causes us a great problem. It's the bad news in God's story. Being born under the law means that that the law must be met. Being born under the law means that uh, if we are not rescued from that, if we are not redeemed from that, that we will suffer uh, God's wrath. Because we're all lawbreakers. There's none of us that have met the standard of God's law. There's none of us that can walk through the Ten Commandments and and say, oh yeah, I've done that. Oh yeah, I've done that. Oh yeah, I've done that. We can't even get past the first one. To love the Lord your God. We're all failures. We're all uh, burdened. We're all uh, cast down. We're all like children who've been told to make their bed or to take out the trash, or to do a chore, and have forgotten, or have not completed the task. And so we're faced with a father who must punish us. We're faced with a father that must have justice. We're faced with a father that must um, be just, because he loves us. He sent his son 
He sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, so he might redeem us. But that's not all. That's not all that that God had intended because he is a God that loves us, because he is a God that cares for us. He says, not only will I redeem you, but I will also give you the opportunity to receive adoption as sons. Many of you know my story. Many of you um, do not. But I, I am a, an adopted son. In my mom and dad adopted me when I was two weeks old. And adoption runs deep in my story. My sister was adopted three years later. Um, I have lots of friends that I know that are adopted. I have uh, nephews that are adopted. I even have an adopted child of my own. And so in my story, adoption means uh, the world to me. The doctrine of adoption is so precious because um, in reality, uh, adoption is, on an earthly sense, adoption is one family saying, we don't care. We don't care about anything else except that you're ours. We want you to have every right that anybody else in our family has. We want you to have every uh, possession that anybody else in our family has. We want you to come into our family and, and be one of us on an earthly sense. And in a heavenly sense, there's even a, a more amazing transaction that takes place. The Son of God was sent to become one of us so that we might be with him as not only his brother, not only uh, God the Father's immediate family, but that we would be of one spirit. We are actually transformed from darkness and we are made new spiritual creatures and, and the, the gift that we've been given by God, the fact that his son became human and sacrificed himself on our behalf, uh, gives us the opportunity to enter into Christ, to be raised from the dead with him. As he was raised from the dead, the, the reality is that he was the God-man, resurrected, so that all of humanity might have the opportunity to be part of his family by faith. That's what verse 6 is all about. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, you're no longer just a child. You're no longer just a general figure in the community. But you've been brought in and you, you've been wrapped up in the arms of your Savior. You've been wrapped up in the arms of your Redeemer. And God says, you're not just my child, but you're my son. 
You're not just my child, but you're my son. And if you are sons, then, then I have sent my spirit, the spirit of my son, my one and only son, I've sent his spirit into your hearts so that you might cry, Abba, Father. Now, you may have heard the song or you may have read that verse You may have read it in Romans 8 as well. I never really thought about the idea that those words, uh, Abba, Father, are um, two different languages, right? It's just God's way of showing us that it's neither Jew, Jew nor Greek. It's neither free nor slave neither male or female, but that we are all one in Christ. That we're all with one voice going to cry the same thing to our Heavenly Father. We're all going to be saying, Abba, Father. That there's not going to be a distinguish in language. There's not going to be a barrier in gender. There's not going to be a barrier in culture. But that when when God sends his son into your heart, he transforms you into a member of his kingdom. But not just a member of his kingdom, a son and a daughter of the king. So as God's children, we've been set free from the law. And Paul tells us over and over again, this isn't a license to sin, but it's a it's. We've been given a heart that is after God's own heart. We've been made heirs through a promise. The promise is that God is our God and we are his people. That we are his family. That God has given us access into the family through his son. Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. This is the response. This is the reaction that we should have, having been set free from childhood, having been set free from slavery to the law, having the law fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who never lived a day that he wasn't tempted, but never faced a day where he had to regret because of sin. He was sinless. Because Jesus fulfilled all the law and all the prophets, we have been given uh, the status of sonship, the status of belonging, the status of being brought into a place where we will always be protected, where we will always be provided for, where we will always be cherished, where we will always be looked at as special. And so our response simply should be to follow this one law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
our response should be to love God, to cry out, Abba, Father. That word in the Greek, crying out, is the same word that Jesus is used for Jesus crying out to his Father on the cross. It is one that is meant to, to, to display the emotion of, of gratefulness and thankfulness and, and, of, and, and of one of awe of who our dad is, that we are heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Adoption is a beautiful thing. We've been made partakers of the grace of adoption through Jesus Christ. We've been taken into the number of those who are sons and daughters of Jesus. We enjoy all the liberties and the privileges as children of God. He's put his name upon us. We've received his spirit. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness and we're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. We're pitied and protected and provided for and chastened by him as Father, yet never cast off. And there's a day coming. Oh, there's a sweet, sweet day coming. And our Father will call us home. And we'll begin to understand that we're no longer children, but we're truly sons. When we receive the inheritance through a promise that He is our God and we are His people, let's pray. Oh God, we... We become your children and we enter your family. But you tell us that we're even more special than just a child. That we're sons and daughters. That you give us the uh, liberty to live for you. You give us the liberty to praise you and to glorify you and to enjoy you. Give us the liberty to know that that we are children of promise. That you have promised us your grace is unending. That your mercy is ever new each morning. And Lord, as we live in this world and as we live with brokenness and we live with hurt and we live with pain, as we live... uh, 
sometimes as if we're still under the law. I pray that you would just gently remind us that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That we are more than just children who have been given a task, but we've been set free by the Spirit of your Son who you've poured into our hearts that we might live by that Spirit. That we might live loving you and loving others because we have been set free from death and sin. That the punishment of the of breaking the law is gone. And the penalty for breaking the law has been met. Oh God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Christ's name we pray. Amen.